Successful Performer Cast, Episode 16. This is the show that interviews one full-time professional entertainer per week with the goal of inspiring and equipping those who are working to make the leap themselves. This is the Successful Performer Cast. Hey everyone, this is Chris Shepard, your host. Thanks for listening to the Successful Performer Cast, the show that interviews successful entertainers to inspire you, our listeners. Have you joined our email list? This is a great way to be notified every time a new episode breaks. Go to SuccessfulPerformerCast.com to sign up today and never miss an episode. Also, I'd love to know what you guys are thinking about the show. Uh, Please feel free to participate in the comments on the show notes pages. You can find those at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com. And also feel free to drop me a line. You can uh, reach me through my email at ks at SuccessfulPerformerCast.com. So please drop me a line. Let me know what you guys think. Now, let's get to the good stuff. It's my pleasure to welcome to the show a wonderful entertainer. Rick Gerber is the official Anheuser-Busch Master Illusionist. He's performed in all 50 states and more countries than most people can name. Thank you so much for being here, Rick. Hi, great to be here, Chris. Good morning. Good morning. My pleasure to have you. <laughs> so let's, uh, let's start off with a, a little bit of inspiration here. I wanted to find out from you, do you have a uh, favorite success quote or a mantra that you live by? You know, I do, and ironically, it's from my father. And many, many years ago, he told me that uh, when I was kind of starting out in this whole thing, he said, you can be cheap and good, or you can be expensive but worth it. And once you're cheap and good, you can never become expensive but worth it. And I've always remembered that. I've always remembered that it's very important to uh, uh, to value yourself enough, uh, you know, so that so that you don't become basically a commodity. If you get down into the level of everybody fighting for, you know, $25 shows, $50 shows, you become a commodity because that, that arena is, is very cluttered. And uh, so with that said, I, I, always, uh, I, I always kept my prices uh, at a level that I was, I was proud to be at that price and I felt uh, there was no compromise on those prices. Wow. And if you're getting into the price war, it's just a downward spiral from there, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, that's just a, a game you do not want to get into. Uh, uh, you know, in fact, I'll, I'll give you an example. In, uh, in 2010, you know, 2009, 2010, when uh, the most recent recession hit, mm-hmm. uh, everybody was, you know, lowering their prices and, and trying to figure out how to you know, how to survive during that very difficult time for entertainers. And I decided to raise my prices. And everybody said I was nuts. And I said, no, I said, because if I raise my price, one, that still shows that, that there's value in what I do. And two, it actually allowed me at that point to say, well, you know, the, as a corporate magician, one of the biggest obstacles you have to uh, fight is, uh, people always say, well, you know, I got to fly you in. I got to pay your expenses. So I raised my prices enough where I could say, you know what? I tell you what, I'll just throw in the airfare. Yeah. And by doing that, 
it, uh, you know, it, it just took that completely out of the equation. You go, oh, well, if you're going to pick up the airfare, it, it changes psychologically. It changes everyone's complete mindset. And, uh, and now that things seem to be coming back, I just don't throw in the airfare anymore. <laughs> so, so basically, uh, you know, so, so as a result, 2010 was actually a pretty good year for me. And, uh, and subsequently, I've now given myself a raise. So it actually worked out pretty well. Perfect. Wow. You know, and it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, I think it's uh, uh, some advice from Warren Buffett, but it's, it's uh, look at what everybody else is doing and do the opposite. There's, there's a lot of truth to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, th- thank you for uh, giving a specific example on that as, as well. That's, uh, that's really good. Um, could you, what, what's your, uh, what's your dad's name, by the way? Cause you said this quote was from him. <laughs> his, his name's Stanford Gerber. Stanford? San- Sanford. Sanford. Okay. Yeah. Sanford Gerber. F-O-R-D. Exactly. Awesome. And he's uh, 94 and still around. Nice. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> 94 years young, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, Rick, could you bring us into your journey into how you discovered magic or how it discovered you? Uh, you know, it, again, it goes back to my parents. Uh, many years ago, they just, you know, when I was literally five, six years old, they used to bring me home little magic tricks all the time, just like the little Adam's magic tricks and the little, you know, little box magic tricks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I was just always fascinated with those things and uh, it was always fun. And eventually, you know, I started getting to the die boxes and the hippity hop rabbits and, yeah. uh, you know, and then uh, a friend of mine in elementary school, I found out that his father was an amateur magician and, uh, and he and I started doing little shows together. We started doing, you know, the kids' birthday parties. We we're doing uh, assemblies at our elementary school. Uh, and that, that was something at that point, I think we were uh, probably about eight years old and, uh, uh, one day I was down, uh, I grew up in Los Angeles and in Marina del Rey, there's a little place called Fisherman's Village. And it's a little touristy kind of a thing down there in Marina del Rey, California. Okay. And I was literally showing my parents, I remember what it was, it was Goshman's, uh, ball to square. And we were walking through, uh, Fisherman's Village and I showed it to my parents and they're saying, oh, that's nice. And at the same time, some voice behind me says, whoa, how'd you do that? <laughs> and so I turned around. I started talking to this male. It turned out that he was the general manager of Fisherman's Village. Okay. And he said, you know, hey, we've been looking for someone to maybe come and do some entertainment, you know, on Sundays out here. Would you consider maybe coming on Sundays and doing magic? So I did. So at 10 years old, I became the village magician at, at Fisherman's Village. And, uh, uh, I had a little, a little sign that said, your bread is my dough, put it in front of a little (laughs) tip jar. Nice. And, uh, and, and that's really where I started learning, you know, how to use magic to interact with people. Uh, eventually I opened up a little magic shop down Fisherman's Village, uh, for a few years. Um, but that's kind of where it all started. And then, uh, and then at that, about that same time, uh, I met a couple of people. One, uh, his name was Jack Kelso. And he was a member of the Magic Castle. And uh, Jack uh, started kind of taking me under his wing and teaching me some magic and bringing me to the castle. And at 10, I started doing the, uh, the Sunday brunch shows at the Magic Castle. <laughs> so it was uh, Steve Spillman, who's now Steve Spill. Right. And uh, Nate Derman, Nate the Great. 
Okay. And and myself and the three of us would do the uh, the the brunch shows at the Magic Castle. Huh. And, and that was prior, obviously, to the whole thing that started with the uh, uh, you know the junior members. Okay. Uh, in 1974, and uh, that was I know I had talked to Diana, uh, you know, about that about that time when she was trying to put that whole thing together. You know, and she said to me, you know, the opportunity of having, you know, other kids have access to the library and everything else, um, you know, would be, you know, that was huge. And, uh, uh, you know, she fought that battle for a lot of young magicians. And fortunately, I guess, Carrie Grant stepped up to the plate to help her out, who was on the board at the time and started the junior members. And I was the, actually the very first junior member of the Magic Castle. Wow. So, uh, yeah. So uh, Talk that was, about a dream come true, too, yeah. man. And this is, you know, and and my, and that has been my whole life, in terms of dreams coming true. I've always been at the right place at the right time, you know. Fish, uh, uh, you know, and it just goes on. My whole life has been that kind of a Cinderella story, if you will. It's 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 pretty amazing. Um, but about that time, I also became very interested in photography. Okay. And uh, and in junior high school, we had a teacher who had a background in film. And uh, he started the ESP Media Lab, uh, and that's what stu- uh, that stood for ex- uh, Extra Sensory Perception. Uh, yeah. uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, it was Exploring Sensory Perception. Huh. So uh, uh, we, yeah, so I became pretty involved with that class, and uh, basically I started doing videos. Uh, of my book reports, I'd get a bunch of friends together, and we would act out scenes from a you know from a book that we're reading, and I would I'd create films or videos of those, and turn them in as my book reports. And uh, eventually, this class—it was the only one of its kind in the in the country—and uh, NBC News was coming out and covering us, and we started doing you know at this at this point i'm like the ripe old age of like 13 or 14 we were teaching seminars to la city school teachers on how to use media and multimedia in the classroom and uh eventually from that uh i got involved with a project with pbs called student news and i was a film cameraman with student news uh is an emmy award-winning news show that was put on weekly uh and it was during that time that I re- I learned television production, uh, and I was able to take and learn more about film. And we were taught by some of the best people in the industry at the time. the The producer director of the show uh, was executive producer of NBC uh, Nighttime News. Um, the writers were Bill Farr, who was at that time a very well known uh, LA Times staff writer. Uh, I mean, it just goes on and on. So. Again, at the right place at the right time, I got very involved in television film production. Uh, and that was very helpful for me in terms of the magic side because you start thinking of things very visually and you start thinking of things, uh, you know, as a film editor, you start, you know, editing your own show and taking out the things that are, are no longer necessary. But got very involved with student news. Um, while I was there, I did a couple of uh, documentaries that I was involved with. Uh, they both won local Emmys here in Los Angeles. Wow. Uh, went yeah. on to direct some things uh, for Coca-Cola. The, uh, if you go to Times Square, 
you'll see, uh, you know, the Times Square Coca-Cola Spectacular that's in the middle of Times Square, that giant Coca-Cola sign. Okay. Uh, anytime you see live actors on the Times Square Coca-Cola sign, those are pieces I've directed for them. Really? And, uh, yeah, I've put those together for them. And, huh. and uh, back in the days of the Voyager program, uh, I was working with Carl Sagan over at JPL, and we – uh, I was the field producer, worked with Carl, and we put together the the news packages uh, daily as the Voyager like went to Mars, eventually went to the rings of Saturn. Um, and I helped produce those packages that were then uh, uploaded via satellite to news channels all over the world. So, um, you know, so it's been kind of a, a journey going back and forth between television, film production, magic. But magic has always been my love. Yeah. Uh, and then again, being at the right place at the right time, I was at a TGI Friday's restaurant in Marina del Rey, California, and uh, some people from Anheuser Busch came in and saw me work in the bar. Mm-hmm. And they were coming in pretty frequently out to Los Angeles. They were working with a a creative house out here, and they were designing uh, the new trade show booth for Anheuser Busch, which of course was a big giant bar. Yeah, and. Uh, and after they came into Fridays a few times, they they came up to me and they said, "Hey, you know, we've we've been watching you work here, and I'd gotten to know them pretty well at that point as well." And they said, "You know, we're building this bar. Why don't you come do these trade shows for us and work this bar?" So uh, it's like, sure, okay. And uh, so I started. That's how I started doing the trade shows for Anheuser Busch. I uh, uh, that was back in uh, uh, 1978. Wow. Was actually when I first started doing the trade shows. I actually started doing a few events for them before then. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 77, I did the Long Beach Grand Prix, a few of those kind of events. Um, you know, but literally they found me in a bar. And I thought this was going to be something that was going to be, you know, just kind of a short term kind of a thing. And, yeah. uh, you know, I went to the <laughs> studio. I kind of told them what was going on because uh, it wasn't enough work at that point to do full time. And uh, the studio said, uh, you know, go ahead and we can, you know, we'll give you the time off for these trade shows. It was only like six of them a year at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I stayed at the studio and I did this. And eventually, a couple of years later, I, I left the studio and, and uh, went under contract with Anheuser-Busch. I've been under contract with them ever since. That that's, is amazing. That's the journey. <laughs> so uh, Wow. So are you exclusive with Anheuser-Busch? Uh, no, I'm not. I still okay. do, uh, as long as there's no conflicts of interest, obviously. Sure. But sure. I, I still have uh, other clients outside of Anheuser-Busch. But they are probably 90% of my work. So pretty much everything I do is focused on Anheuser-Busch. Now, is it true that you started working for uh, Anheuser-Busch before you were of legal drinking age? <laughs> well, <laughs> you have to keep in mind that the legal drinking age at that time was 18. Okay, all right, all right. So I always stayed within the legal drinking age. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know where I'd heard that. It might have been uh, when you were at the Magic Castle last I saw you there or something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, for some reason that stuck out in my mind. <laughs> right. Yeah, at that point, uh, in some states where I worked, yeah, I was I was actually uh, not 21, you know, at that point. But uh, but that was that was like literally for like a year yeah so but uh yeah but but that's funny but yeah pretty but at that time you gotta remember the drinking age was you know 18 19 20 so uh okay so yeah 
Fun stuff. Yeah. Now, did did you encounter any resistance from family and friends as you were transitioning into uh, uh, doing magic more? You know, you know, I never did. Um, I, I, it was, you know, I I never had to. Uh, I don't want to say I never had to pay my dues, but it, you know, when I compare myself to a lot of other people who are are trying to get into this business, uh, in a sense, I really didn't have to pay my dues. Again, it kind of goes back to that right place at the right time yeah. situation. So, um, you know, I never had any resistance from any family or friends because it was it was a very natural progression for me. I never I never had to take any risks in that regard. It was always it was always very simple for me. What what is it like being uh, the official Anheuser Busch Master Illusionist? Can you kind of bring us into like a day in the life? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not as glamorous as people think, right. uh, you know. As 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 all magicians know, you know, it's everybody yeah. thinks it's uh, you know bright light, bright lights and applause, and that's not the case. Um, you know, typically uh, my mornings are spent on the phone. Um, I, well, I think one of the misconceptions that I have to kind of clear up is I. I I am a contractor with Anheuser-Busch. I'm not an employee okay. of Anheuser-Busch's. Right. And they don't like just call me and give me my schedule. Uh, the way my contract is, is basically uh, I have the exclusive um, access to their uh, trademarks and licenses uh, in order to promote myself within the Anheuser-Busch family as the Anheuser-Busch corporate magician. Okay. So what that enables me to do is I can reach out to our uh, Budweiser distributors throughout the world, uh, our field sales people, our marketing people, and I can promote myself within the company. So basically, every morning I get up and I make phone calls every day, uh, you know, for events that I see that are coming up that uh, you know trying to sell myself in. Uh, I'm always, uh, you know, looking for new ways and new programs to uh, for Anheuser Busch that we can use magic to help them sell product. Uh, so it's, it's really, it's, um, it, it's a lot of work, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a constant hustle that never, ever stops. If I, if I stop making the phone calls, the work stops coming in. Yeah. So with that said, when I'm on the road, uh, you know, I just came back, you know, on a three week tour and basically I'd get up every morning, I'd drive two or three hours to, uh, to a city, uh, Within that city, we would then start in the afternoon. We'd go out and do uh, what we call hand selling. I go out with the sales team into our uh, the what they call the off premise accounts, uh, where alcohol is consumed off the premises, supermarkets, convenience stores, that sort okay. of thing, uh, and actually help them sell in product. And then uh, around five o'clock, we shift over to the on premise segment of the beer industry. And on premise is the exact opposite of uh, this is where our products are consumed on the premises. So those would be restaurants, clubs, bars. Uh, and then I go in and actually do shows in these places. And those shows can be anything from walk around doing strolling magic to standing on top of the bar and getting everybody's attention and doing a show <laughs> for the entire room. You know, so it, it's, it's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you have to be pretty bold and you have to have, you know, enough confidence in yourself to, <laughs> get up in front of a bunch of people who are drinking and and just uh, say, hey, you know, can I have your attention for a second? I'm going to show you guys something amazing. And the room just goes silent and you've got to deliver <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> pretty quickly because those kind of crowds are very uh, unforgiving. Um, 
you know, so that's part of it. But at the same time, I've, I've had amazing opportunities. I've had to work, I've had opportunities to work with, you know, over the years, Ed McMahon, Frank Sinatra, um, uh, just a who's who of people who have been associated with Anheuser-Busch over the years, Elton John. Uh, it just goes on and on and on. And these are, you know, just opportunities that, you know, I, sometimes you just have to kind of pinch yourself and just kind of realize it's like, really, this is, this is what I do today. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's really fun hearing your story so far and it's, it's quite different from, uh, from anybody that I've heard up to this point, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. So could you, could you talk to those who would like to become a corporate magician? What is it, uh, what does it really mean to be a corporate magician, and how would someone go about becoming one? Well, uh, you know, I, I think the main thing as a corporate magician is that my job, first and foremost, is to help my clients sell their product or their service. That's okay. what makes me valuable to my customers. Uh, I'm not. I'm not a. Uh, uh, you know, there's there's different styles of magic, uh, and as a as a corporate magician, my job is to help sell. So with that said, I, I, a lot of times I think of myself really as a, as a chameleon. Uh, you wear a lot of different hats. You're constantly uh, changing your, uh, uh, your, your presentations to suit whatever works best for that product. And, and with that said, I, I think for me anyway, it's always been very important for me that I always think of myself secondary to the product, you know, or the message that I'm hired to convey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want the product or the message to be the star and the focal point of the show. In fact, many times when people even when they say to me, they go, Hey, what's your name? I go, Hey, I'm the bud magician. Nice. No, no, no. What's your name? I go, I'm the bud magician because my name doesn't help my client sell product. You know, if I had a, a you know, if I was David Copperfield, yeah, okay, that's different. You know, then your name does help sell. But I don't have name recognition. Yeah. But but my, you know, the clients I work for, their products typically have name recognition. And so I want people to walk away remembering the product. So so with that said, I, I think uh starting out, you just have to remember that as you're creating magic in a corporate arena, you have to say to yourself, why am I valuable to this corporation? What do I bring to the table? that will help them sell more product or help them get their message out to more people. And hmm. that would be my piece of advice. It seems uh, uh, that you, know, you, you see magicians and stuff these days saying, I do birthday parties, I do weddings, I do corporate magic. And it just seems like uh, uh, they might not understand everything that goes into it, you know? Well, yeah, but, but, you know, it's a learning experience. Yeah. Um, and I think those of us that have been fortunate enough to, to make a living in this business have learned that you do have to stay rather focused. Mm-hmm. Um, I even separate, uh, you know, I do email blasts and everything, and I have very distinct separate groups of email blasts that go out, uh, you know, and, you know, each one targets that very specific market. But, yeah, I see that all the time. I see business cards all the time that, you know, Birthday parties, weddings, corporate events, trade shows. It's like, really? You're going to hire, you know, you, you know, no one is going to hire someone who does, you know, children's birthday parties to represent their corporation at a trade show. 
Yeah. And I, uh, and, and I think magicians need to understand that. You don't, you don't necessarily have to be say, okay, I'm going to pick one or the other. You just have to separate the marketing of that. Now, are, are there any misconceptions, do you think, uh, that magicians might have about corporate magic? I, I think the misconception is people think that they can just, uh, that corporations will just hire them for their act. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, uh, they think that, um, they think, okay, I can do, you know, I can do banquet entertainment. And in some cases, that's true. A lot of times, you know, a corporation will, will hire, you know, will bring in entertainment just to entertain at a corporate event. Uh, but if you want to keep coming back to that corporate event and doing it year after year, again, if you can figure out a way to to actually connect with those guests and communicate that corporate message, that makes you a lot more valuable to them. And it takes you from being a magician that a corporation has hired to a corporate magician. So, uh, Rick, could you talk to us about a failure that you've had, something that we could all learn from? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I don't. I guess maybe this is a little too philosophical for. I, I don't. But I, I, I don't see myself ever having failures. I look at all of my uh, times when things have not worked out the way I planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just take those as a learning experience. So, so I don't really have failures. I have learning experiences. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and uh, you know. And with that said, I mean, yeah, there are things where. You know, I've I've mispronounced uh, a, a corporation's name for, nice. during a during a product unveiling. Uh, <laughs> that's only happened once, and I can assure you that will never happen again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, it's a learning experience. Uh, uh, you know, I've had situations where on stage, you know, during one of the things I also do is at, at fairs and festivals for many years. We we had a full Budweiser illusion show that we traveled with. Uh, I mean, it was, it was a monster show. I mean, it filled up, you know, well, back in that day, it's, you know, for me, it, it filled up the back of a, of a, a 20 foot, uh, trailer and, uh, and, and we had many great illusions in this thing. And there was one that we did, it was kind of a combination of a, of a mismade and a zigzag. And it was kind of a crazy thing that, uh, I had created and, uh, actually it's an idea that Stan Allen had come up with and, uh, uh, in the middle of the show, after I was cut into four pieces, uh, the illusion didn't work. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm on stage in four pieces. <laughs> and, and we just literally had to pick up each piece and carry it off stage. And, <laughs> and then I just kind of walked back out again. <laughs> so, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but uh, – but all in all, I've I've been pretty lucky. I've 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 never, I've never had some of the horror stories that some of my friends have told me. So yeah. I, I've been pretty fortunate with that. Wow. So so what did you uh, what did you do after you got back on stage after they uh, uh, picked up the pieces of you per se? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't. I, I think I just made some kind of little crack or joke and say, "Here I am. I'm back. I'm fully restored," or something like yeah. that. I, I don't. Yeah. You just you know what do you do? You just have to play it off and keep going. Yep. Oh man. So. But what will you do with uh, the pieces of the message that I'm giving you, right? And you put it on them and, right. I don't know, <laughs> make it a learning experience. Right, right. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it happens. So, so, I mean, obviously, basically, uh, uh, take your, your quote-unquote learning experiences and uh, learn from them and, and don't let them happen again. So Absolutely. You've yeah. got – you, yeah, you've got to – 
you know, it, there's there's a lot ahead of people. You know, there's 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 more typically looking forward than there is. I don't I don't look back a whole lot. I like looking forward. Sure. And uh, yeah, I just like to learn from my experiences and move on. So on the uh, opposite side of the spectrum, could you tell us about your biggest success? Well, I, I think uh, undisputably that would be holding on to one client <laughs> for over 35 years no through, doubt. <laughs> uh, through four regime changes. Uh, I first started working for Anheuser-Busch. I was doing shows for Gussie Bush. Uh, he was uh, then replaced with August Bush III, August Bush IV. Uh, and now we've merged with uh, InBev, so now it's AB InBev, and uh, and and through all of that, uh, and keeping in mind that that I report uh, directly to the executive level of Anheuser Busch, they've all seen value in what I do, and they've all you know wanted to carry on the program, and uh, I've, I've been you know very fortunate with that. So uh, yeah, my business success is really just. Be able to continue on with Anheuser Busch, I still see many more years ahead of me with that. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's uh, certainly uh, not something to shake a stick at, right there, right? <laughs> no, you know, it's funny. My my contract is actually a year to year contract, so it's it's been renewed for you know over thirty consecutive one year <laughs> contracts. Wow. So uh, yeah, so it's it's pretty crazy. Every year, I I still get nervous. I never get complacent, and. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I always have to make sure I'm doing my best to make sure I'm representing the company the best I can. That's good. And you're always bringing the value. You, you can't rest on your laurels. Absolutely not. Uh, now, what, one of the things, um, obviously, I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, a professional magician as well, trying to transition into performing full time. And I work uh, a couple of restaurants right now. And I've had uh, restaurants change ownership and stuff. And they go and they get rid of everybody, including the magician. Mm -hmm. And uh, you'd mentioned that you've been able to stay uh, you know, with Anheuser-Busch through regime changes and stuff like that. And I realize it, it's not exactly apples and apples, but is there any uh, any kind of tips or anything that you could uh, offer our listeners into uh, just uh, showing your value to uh, to the people who might be coming in kind of thing? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and actually, I'll give you a perfect example. That's a restaurant magician. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I, as I mentioned earlier, I was, you know, at TGI Fridays for many years. I was doing restaurant magic with them back in the uh, mid-70s before it was really kind of even a, yeah, I don't think anybody else was doing restaurant magic or not yeah. that many. I should say that. I'm sure there are a lot of guys out there doing it, but it was as well known as it is today. Uh, but back, even back then, I realized as a restaurant magician, okay, so you're a restaurant, so you work in a restaurant. If, yes. I, if I were to say to you, from the restaurant's perspective, why are you there? What would you say? I would say that I'm uh, um, offering them something special, something different that uh, than other restaurants are offering. I'm, you know, helping to uh, add to the atmosphere. I'm uh, giving their their guests uh, something completely different. Uh, and I'm also an extension of the hospitality of the restaurant. I get to spend time with their guests, uh, maybe even more so uh, than the waiters or waitresses. So I can kind of gauge things and, and maybe, you know, try and uh, like smooth things over if something's wrong or anything like that. So it's uh, entertainment as well as hospitality. 
Okay. All right. And that's and and, and that's the right approach. Uh, okay. In the in the corporate world, we call that enhancing the com- the enhancing the customer's experience. So you enhance your customer's experience, and the other thing that is of of value to them is exactly what you said. If if there is an issue, if the food is running a little slow, uh, if there's you know some kind of an issue in the kitchen, uh, then you can go up to that table and you can start entertaining those people, and uh, and by doing that, it, it makes that time go a little bit faster. So if there's a delay or there's an issue, mm-hmm. they don't quite realize it, you know, because they're being entertained. Uh, so, you know, so that, that brings your, you know, so that brings value to the restaurant. So, uh, and it all, that's what it always relates back to is what value do you bring and, and stop and think about what that value is and focus everything around that and, and you'll be successful. Now it's very difficult to transition from restaurant magician to uh, to the kind of fees you're going to want to demand as a corporate magician, or uh, or even to get higher fees for private shows, mm-hmm. because again, there's that that adage that my father taught me, right? Um, you know, you can be cheap and good, or expensive but worth it. If you're working in a restaurant, you're cheap but good. Hmm. Uh, and, and no matter what you do, the customers are going to see you that way. And you're never going to get a customer that just saw you work for a $5 tip to hire you to come in and do a $2,500 function. That's a very good point. <laughs> yeah. So, so you have to stop and think about, you know, how can you position that? How can you, uh, you know, how can you do something? You know, to, you know, because uh, a lot of restaurant magicians, they work the restaurants, not necessarily for the money, but for the shows that they pick up from the restaurant. Absolutely. That's yeah. where you really make your money. So, you know, what happens if you come in and say, uh, you put a little table tents on the tables to say, our magician is, uh, um, uh, you know, something about this magician is donating, you know, his proceeds to some kind of a charity or something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I I had a little I had a little table tents at TGI Fridays. I forgot what they had. I forgot what they said. Going going back, <laughs> going back forty years. Um, Wayback machine, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but but I had little table tents on there, and I had to figure out how am I going to how am I going to be able to let people know when I'm working in this restaurant. You know, why am I working so cheap there? Why am I asking so much money when they're trying to hire me? And uh, uh, and I forgot the exact wording, but it, it worked. And I was able to, you know, at the, at, you know, back in those days, you know, I could ask, you know, $250, $300 to go out and do a party. Mm-hmm. And most people at that time were charging $25, $50. Wow. So, um, again, you, you can't fall into that trap of being cheap and good. You got to yeah. figure out how you're going to get out of that cycle. Can you remember, like, the gist of what the uh, table tent sign said? Or <laughs> You know, I, I think it said something about... Uh, it had a little picture of a rabbit, a drawing of a rabbit, and it said something about help me put my rabbit and whatever its name was through school. Uh, <laughs> donations are greatly appreciated. Um, and we'll also be putting something about other rabbits through school. And, uh, but, and then it had the name of the charity. And it was, it was, and I can't remember what the charity was, but I donated, you know, part of my proceeds that to, uh, to, uh, it was a college fund of some sort. I just can't remember what it is now. Yeah. 
That's that's uh very clever. <laughs> now, how old were you when you working when you were working over at TGI Fridays? Uh, I I started there when I was when I was sixteen. I remember okay. I just got my driver's license. Oh, so that's, okay. Yeah, so that's how. I, otherwise, I, I I couldn't get there. So that yeah. was how I got there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it would sure uh, it would sure suck if you were trying to take the bus with your uh, with all of your material <laughs> with you and right uh, right. Oh man. Yeah, you know, these days, I mean, you see magicians come in and they have their little close-up case and stuff, you know? And if you were to ride a bus with that, I think people would get suspicious. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah, yeah, today. Yeah, it's, oh man. That's true. So, Rick, uh is there anything in particular that's worked best for you in growing your business? Um, you know, I I think for me, I've just I've I've never depended on other people to sell me in. Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, they, they go through agents and different things. I, I, you know, I've just never had a lot of success with that. I know a lot of people who have, uh, for me personally, that, that wasn't, uh, very successful for me. I, you know, I try to create my own opportunities. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I, I get up every morning, I make phone calls, I send out emails, I do my email blasts. Um, you know, and I like to read a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of books on business, um, to just to understand, you know, what the current trends are and how businesses think. And, uh, you know, so that when I'm, when I'm speaking to people in the business world, I can, I can speak in a, in a common language with them. Uh, and, and they, and when they understand, when they hear me speak that way, they know I, I get it, which is really important. Oh yeah. Could you tell us an interesting story that you've encountered during your performance career? <laughs> <You know? laughs> I have lots. Yeah. Pick <laughs> a really about, good one, right? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've done shows in over probably close to 30,000 bars all over the world. Beautiful. And, uh, you know, so there's always just kind of crazy stuff going on bars, but I think, I, I think some of the, the, uh, the most interesting things I've had, uh, have been just some of the people I've performed with. I mean, I remember years ago I did a show in North Carolina and uh the 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 main show on the bill was uh, it was Buddy Hackett, Frank Sinatra and this uh this upstart comedian by the name of Jay Leno who no one had heard of. Yeah. And uh and I was and I was, you know, working the the crowd beforehand and um uh and and I always wanted to meet, obviously, Frank Sinatra. And I thought uh, a lot of people didn't know Frank Sinatra actually used to do Budweiser commercials years ago. Um, and he actually owned the Budweiser distributorship in Long Beach, California. So I thought, you know, if I could get in and talk to Frank Sinatra, at least we've got something common we can talk about, right? I, yeah. I figured if, he, if I told him, you know, hey, the Budweiser magician wants to see you or something, I thought, you know, there'd be, you know, he might intrigue him enough. He'd go, yeah, let me see this guy. So uh, anyway, so I really wanted to meet Frank Sinatra. And finally, these people said, um, you know, Frank's here and he's in his dressing room and you can go in and say hi. And I thought, oh, this is great. I get to meet Frank Sinatra. Yeah. And I walk into the room and, and all there is in the room is a, a hairdresser and he is styling a toupee on top of a of a of a, uh, you know, with a styrofoam, right. A bust you know, or yeah, something. Right. Yeah. You know? And, and I'm looking around and there's nobody else in there. And I said, well, where's Mr. Sinatra? And they kind of looked at me and they said, 
Oh uh, no, no, he he hasn't arrived. His his <laughs> hair is here. <laughs> so so that was that was my uh, that was and and I learned that he literally flies his hair in before him. So okay. that's all. So that's all ready. So that when he goes on stage, he can he can put his hair on. So I thought uh, that's pretty crazy. But but eventually, I did get to meet Frank Sinatra, and yeah. um, and that was also another kind of an interesting story. It was uh, 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 Frank Sinatra and uh, uh, Ed McMahon, Norm Crosby, and Ray Charles, and they're all sitting in the green room. And, and Anheuser-Busch would bring in all these people to entertain at their national conventions years ago. I mean, every year it was just a who's who of who they brought in, Bob Hope. I mean, it was just always crazy. Um, and they would always have me entertain these people in the green room. So I always got to sit around with them sometimes for, you know, up to an hour, you know, just kind of chatting with them and doing magic with them and entertaining them. And so this one year is Frank Sinatra and Ed and, and Norm and Ray Charles are sitting around this table. And, I'm, and I said to Ray, I said, uh, I said, you know, I've heard that when you lose your sight, that you, uh, your other senses are heightened. I said, do you find that to be true? And, uh, and we had a little conversation about it. I said, do you mind if I try a little experiment with you? And he says, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, so I had Frank Sinatra pick a card. And I said, don't show anybody. Just look at it yourself. Put it in a pocket. Don't let anybody else see it. So he does. So I said to Ray Charles, I said, so just intuition. I said, if you were to think if this is a red card or a black card, what would you say it was? And he's like, ah, man, I think, I, I think it'd be a red card. I said, okay. I said, uh, if, if it's a red card, would it be a heart or a diamond? And he goes, ah, I think it's a diamond. And in the meantime, as I'm doing this, Frank Sinatra's face is just getting like this, like, what the hell look on his face? Yeah. And, uh, and I said, well, it w- would it be a number card or would it be a face card, like a jack, a queen, or a king? He goes, oh, I think it's a, like a number card. And as we're going through this, Frank Sinatra is getting more and more like, what the hell? And um, so finally, you know, we hit the card, three of diamonds. And Frank Sinatra just starts swearing. He takes out the card. And he throws it face up on the table. And everybody <laughs> sees it's a card. Everybody's just freaking out. And what I was doing is I, w- I was sitting next to Ray, so I was just cueing him under the table. I was kicking him every time I'd say, you know, is it red or black? And <laughs> when I'd say the word red, I'd kick him a little bit under the table. And he was just playing along with it perfectly. Yeah. He just, you know, he was, it was just great. So I think, I think, I have to say that's got to be one of the most amazing, surreal moments in my mind to, you know, to be sitting at a table with Ray Charles and Frank Sinatra and Ed McMahon and these guys and doing something like that. It's like, it's just, you know, unbelievable experience. Wow, that's uh, that's quite a story, man. Yeah, <laughs> man. Uh, you know, <laughs> I I look forward to uh, just the kind of stories that I'm going to be able to to experience and tell people. You know, and it's uh, only going out there and doing things that you're gonna you know go out there and meet people and 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 just live it up. And <laughs> well, and, you know, actually, you just hit on something that's very important. That's just what you say you know, get out there and doing things and you have to just get out there and do it. You yeah. know, uh, you can't be in a cocoon. You have to just get out there and try these things and, uh, you know, and figure out what works for you and, and figure out how to make these things work. And it all just comes from just getting out and doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you'd, uh, you'd mentioned that your life has kind of been the Cinderella story in, in that you've always been in the right place at the right time. But that wouldn't have necessarily been important if you hadn't been prepared for things. Can you talk about uh, a little bit about how you make sure that uh, you know you're ready for things that might come up? 
I, I, I've learned I've learned to have enough confidence in myself that okay. if somebody comes to me with something and says, "Hey, look, this is what we're thinking of trying to do," that I can just confidently come back with at them, even though I may not have what they're looking for in my arsenal at that time to pull off. Uh, but I know I can do it, mm-hmm. and uh, so I I think in terms of preparation. You know, obviously, you have to have a, a solid foundation of magic. Um, I, I have a great team of people that, you know, my go-to people. If there's something I'm working on, I, I go to them and they can help, you know, guide me so I can, you know, build off of their experience as well. Uh, but I, I've, I've learned I, I rarely say no to anything. You know, the project may not happen. But if someone comes to me with an idea, I, I love the creative side of our business. It's a very creative art. And it, it just gets your juices flowing and it just gets you excited every time someone comes to you with a new idea and says, can you do this? And the answer is always yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, it, you know, depending on, you know, budget oh, and everything else that's involved. But, uh, y- you know, I, I think in terms of prep at, at this point in my life, um, you know, the foundation's been laid uh, and I, I, try to go to the best people to help me with whatever it is that I'm working on and, and just have enough confidence in myself to know it's, it's going to happen. Nice. So I, I, I'm working, I'm working on a new project right now. That's, uh, that's actually even for me a little scary. It's, it's something that's uh, completely out of my comfort zone. And, uh, and, and at the same time, it's probably a project that uh, that's, the most I've been most excited about in many years, so uh, so I love those kinds of challenges. Nice. Is that something you can tip here, or is that something? Uh, uh... I no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, <laughs> but it's coming. Awesome. We'll we'll keep our eyes open for that. Very cool. So uh, looking back, is there anything you would have done differently up to this point? Uh, you know, there really isn't. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, again, I've. Uh, I've just been at the right place at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and people come to me a lot of times. They say, "Hey, I'm just starting out. What what can I do?" And sometimes it's hard for me to give them guidance on that because my my journey is pretty unique, mm-hmm. and uh, and I can't I can't you know it's kind of hard to it's kind of kind of hard to make the things happen that have happened to me in my life. I, I guess if I had one one thing, what would I do? You know, in terms of doing something differently, there. There's really nothing different that I, I would do. You know, I'm, I'm proud of what I've done so far, and I know there's a lot more to come. And and uh, yeah, I, I don't know what kind of advice I could give to people. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're uh, we're coming up to the end of the show here, where uh, I have you recommend some resources and books and things. Uh, could I have you recommend a resource that you always use to our listeners? And this could be anything from an iPhone app to you know good old pen and paper. Yeah. Uh, you know, for travel, I, I actually I use a, a, a program. It's, it's both an app and uh, on the you know on, on the computer. It's called TripIt, T R I P I T. TripIt, mm-hmm. one word, and it takes all of your. Uh, you can forward your airline reservations, hotel reservations, car reservations. You can when you get your confirmation emails, you forward it to them, and it automatically builds for you a daily schedule with all of your travel information all in one place. 
Uh, and at the same time, I can also put in all my notes. So I can put in like who my contact information is, uh, any information. So when I get ready to go on the road, I print out my TripIt schedule and it has everything in there. Uh, it also tracks all of your frequent flyer miles and points. Uh, I mean, for, for those out there who travel a lot, boy, TripIt is, is amazing. Uh, another thing I, I use a lot is Elance. Uh, a lot of people out there uh, don't have, you know, secretaries and uh, you know, you're, you're a one man band and you're do, trying to do it all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Elance, I, I know there's other companies out there do kind of the same sort of a thing, but, uh, basically if you have a project you're working on, um, I do a lot for like data entry, uh, for if I'm doing research on something, you can go on to Elance and you can put in what your project is and people will come back to you and bid on doing this project for you. And I have people working with me all over the world uh, on, on different projects. And it, it's, it, it's great. And it, it saves you, um, you know, it's, it's less expensive. It's very efficient. And, uh, and so, uh, I, I've used Elance, uh, you know, quite a bit for, I, I also use them for, um, sometimes, you know, people who are trying to build their email lists. Mm-hmm. Let, let's say, let's say you want to go after, uh, I don't know, the bakery industry, you can go to Elance and you can say, okay, I'm looking for a researcher that can give me a list of the, of the top, you know, 50 bakeries in the United States and, huh. and the contact information. And there are people out there who will go online and they'll research all that for you. And they'll come back to you with a spreadsheet with all this information for you then to, to take and go follow up on. So, uh, I, I do projects like that all the time. There, when you have tedious time consuming projects, I'll farm that out and have somebody else do that for me. Uh, and it's very quick, very reasonable. So, uh, yeah, so that's a great, those are two great resources I use almost every day. That's cool. I'd, I'd never have considered, uh, using Elance in, in getting a list. I mean, usually you'd go to, uh, uh, you know, some of the, the actual list companies in which you would buy a list in the contacts, but, uh, right. And it, to have Elance do it. (laughs) And, and, yeah, and, and, well, and, and most people will tell you that, uh, those, those lists are pretty bogus and yeah. they don't really get very good success rates from those lists for, for the most part. I'm sure there's some companies out there that, you know, have better lists than others, but I, I've never had very good success with those lists that you buy. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. <laughs> so now I, I would like you to uh, recommend a couple of books, one performance specific book, and then one outside of your performance expertise, like a business <laughs> or self-development book. Yeah. You know, um, I I love learning from other people's experiences, mm-hmm. and with that said, uh, I I love the book Tales from the Uncanny Scott by uh, from from Ron Wilson. Okay, um, you know it's it it uh, I, I it it shares a, a ton of stories in there from well magicians I pretty much kind of grew up with, uh, but it's interesting if you read those stories. Uh, you you can you can really learn a lot from these these magicians' experiences, and and the book is really amazing. I mean, it's got some some stories in there from. I mean, it's a who's who of magicians, and they and they each show like a, share amazing stories. I mean, there's Jos, there's uh, you know Ramsey, uh, Larry Jennings, Charlie Miller, Di Vernon, Platt, Kuda Bucks. Every one of these stories you read about these guys, you learn something new yeah. that you can take away. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so I, I love that book. 
Uh, so in terms of, it's, it's not necessarily a, a performance book per se, right. but, uh, but just a wealth of information hidden inside that book. And it's fun to read. The stories are amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to check that one out. That sounds yeah, like a fun yeah. one. Oh, there's a, and there's a great DVD in there of some of Ron's stuff. That, really? <laughs> yeah, there's it comes it comes with this DVD of um, of Nick Lewin uh, interviewing <laughs> interviewing Ron Wilson, and they're reconstructing some of his magic tricks, and it's hysterical. So wow. so just <laughs> yeah, that's that's pretty funny too. Um, and then in terms of a, a business book. Uh, one that I uh, that had really meant a lot to me that I learned a lot from is a book called Trading Up. Um, it's by uh, Michael Silverstein and, and Neil Fisk, and basically it explains the psychology behind the consumer as to why a consumer would be willing to uh, uh, skimp on, you know. Uh, on certain items that they would buy in their life, you know, why they, why certain things have a perceived low value to them and why that same consumer would then go out and pay $400 for a single golf club. And hmm. why does the mind work that way? And, uh, and again, going back to my, my dad saying about cheap and good or expensive, but worth it, this book nails that to the T. I mean, it really uh, explains the entire psychology about why people are willing to spend more money for certain things. Mm-hmm. And to apply that to the magic world, uh, there's some really valuable lessons in there. Wow, yeah. Definitely check that one out too. Uh, by the way, these uh, these books and resources that Rick has mentioned, uh, there will be links to those in the show notes, and you can uh, you'll be able to find that at successfulperformacast.com slash Rick dash Gerber uh, as soon as this episode breaks. Uh, so you'll be able to find those there on the on the website. Excellent. Now, Rick, could you give us one piece of parting advice for our listeners and then tell us where we can find you online and plug any services you might have? Sure. Uh, I, I think if I, my parting advice would be, you know, if you want to make a living at magic, just to be the best you can be and just strive for extraordinary because anything less than that just makes you a commodity. Hmm. And I think that would be a little bit of a, parting advice uh, to share with people. Um, and in terms of how to find me, uh, the website, uh, you can always find me at www.rick-gerber.com. You've got to put that little dash between Rick and Gerber. So, uh, you know, rick-gerber.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, Facebook, uh, just facebook.com, you know, backslash Rick Gerber. Uh, uh, for LinkedIn, if you're interested in just kind of seeing a little bit more about my history, you're more than welcome to take a look at my LinkedIn page. Um, and that's uh, linkedin.com backslash in backslash Rick Gerber magic. Uh, I will say though, I, I don't, uh, for me, LinkedIn is all business related and I, yeah. I don't, uh, I don't accept people into my LinkedIn circle unless it's a, unless it's something on a business level. Um, but if you're just interested in kind of seeing more about me and the craziness I've done in my years and, all the things I've done. Uh, it's kind of a fun, kind of a fun bio to take a peek at. Awesome. Rick, you've shared all kinds of wonderful information that our <laughs> listeners can use to help grow their 
uh, their performance businesses. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your experience. Oh, thank you, Chris. It was great. Thanks for having me. Hey there, this is your host, Chris Shepard, wrapping things up. I really hope that you're enjoying these free podcasts. If you are, I'd really appreciate it if you go to SuccessfulPerformerCast.com, click on the subscribe on iTunes tab at the top to be taken to the iTunes store where you can leave a rating and a review. Don't forget that I'll give a shout out by name to anyone who leaves a five-star rating. Now, go out there and make your dreams happen. And Frank Sinatra just starts swearing. He takes out the card and he throws it face up on the table. Everybody sees it's a card. Everybody's just freaking out.